Hello. Hello. to Three Stooges Throwback, the comprehensive, encyclopedic compendium of all things Three Stooges. From woman haters to sappy bullfighters, from Curly to Shemp, and even to Joe. I am your host, Gabriel Russo, and I'm looking at all 190 shorts produced for Columbia Pictures by the Three Stooges comedy team. Hello and welcome back once again to the long-forgotten but never-quite-gone Three Stooges Throwback Podcast. I am still your host, Gabriel Russo, and we are still going over the 190 shorts produced for Columbia Pictures by the fantastic Columbia... <laughs> the fantastic comedy team known as the Three Stooges. This episode is 53. We're covering the shorts so long, Mr. Chumps. First things first, I use Wikipedia, IMDb, and threestooges.net. I have also incorporated takemeback.to and onthisday.com for historical bits, as well as obscureactress.wordpress.com from time to time to find all my information for these episodes. I am watching them from a YouTube account, The Three Stooges, all one word. And let me tell you, they are all in 1080p and they look as good as they did when they were first released i was there i read almost every book on the boys and i use my own brain to formulate opinions on these shorts while also regurgitating the opinions of others i am not an expert on the three stooges i am a knowledgeable fan i make mistakes i leave things out but it will be fine everything will be okay I'll probably repeat myself a hundred times before it's over. With that said, let's get on with the show. So Long Mr. Chumps has a runtime of about 17 and a half minutes. It was shot over five days from July 25th, 1940 to July 30th, 1940 and released on Friday, February 7th, 1941. Huh. So shot in July. Wait seven months to release it. This is the first one released of the for the boys. The last one was shot in August and released in December, where this one was shot in July and then held till the new year. They have no work in January of 1941. They're probably on a, a tour or something like that. They released uh, nine shorts in 1940, eight the previous year of 1939. We'll see how many we get in 1941. So what was going on in, 1940, in February of 1941? Nothing in the world of note that I can think of. Ha. Let's use TakeMeBack.to and OnThisDay.com to take a look-see. We're back in 1941. On the 17th, um, 10 days after the release of this short, we've got Joe Lewis beating Gus Dorazio in the second round in Philadelphia for his 14th title defense. Joe Lewis was 137 years old. <laughs> Did mama call him Clay? I call him Clay. <laughs> That's uh, both from uh, Coming to America. <laughs> Just let your soul glow. But Joe Lewis was 137 years old. On the 27th of February, the 13th Annual Academy Awards is held. The 13th Annual. Rebecca wins Best Picture, starring James Stewart and Ginger Rogers. 
Meanwhile, in cinemas, Andy Hardy, private secretary. Andy Hardy's private secretary. All set to graduate from high school, and Andy flunks his English exam. In spite of the fact that the judge has gone to all the trouble of getting him his very own private secretary. <laughs> Starring Louis Stone, Mickey Rooney, and Faye Holden. Andy Hardy was a fictional character played by Mickey Rooney in 16 films. So I grew up in southeastern Pennsylvania, and I remember driving, you know, high school age, that kind of thing, 80, mid, late 80s, 89, I graduated 89. So um, I remember driving all around that area. I believe it was in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. There was a hotel. And you'd come around the bend. It's all trees and whatnot and windy roads. You'd come around the bend in the road and suddenly there was Mickey Rooney's giant face looming in front of you. <laughs> it was the Mickey Rooney Hotel or Motel. And it had like a 10 or 15 foot tall Mickey Rooney face on the side of the building. It couldn't possibly still be there. But um, if anybody out there is aware of this thing, um, let me know. Or if he had a, a a chain of hotels or motels, I'm not sure. But Downingtown doesn't seem like a real um, you know hotbed of tourism, so it seems an odd place. Anyhow, this short is produced and directed by Jules White. Story and screenplay by both Clyde Brookman and Felix Adler. Curly, Larry, and Moe are your stooges. Eddie Lawton comes in as Percy Pomeroy, convict, convict number 41144. We have long covered Eddie Lawton, but this is the role that he is remembered for, according to Wikipedia. Well, the first one of the three or four mentioned. So he's, re he's remembered for this role. Dorothy Appleby is Pomeroy's girlfriend. We remember her as getting her face covered in cement and chiseled off in cuckoo cavaliers. She was petite. At five feet or so, and often played young, younger, you know, than her actual age. Pardon me. We've got John Tyrell back again. He's as playing B.O. Davis slash Lone Wolf Louie. He's been covered pretty extensively here as well. Uh, we remember Tyrell and Mac were the dance team that I have been thwarted in learning anything about online. <laughs> We've got Vernon Dent as the desk sergeant. Covered him extensively. We've got Blackie Whiteford as the policeman in the precinct. So, in 1903, he was a seaman in between jobs, a sailor. And he was offered to go and do, a, he was offered work to work on the Great Train Robbery, the movie. Um, he went on to work on several hundred movies, 350 pictures between 1928 and 62. He claimed to have worked on over 2,000 films, which is disputed by film historians. <laughs> Burt Young as the first policeman, and we know about as much as Burt as we are liable to find. Lewis Mason as the second policeman, nothing on him. George Gray as the blind man. Johnny Cassier as the second wallet finder. He's Moe's stunt double. We've covered him. Kit Guard as Jip de People. <laughs> Jip de People. He was a Dutch guy who worked in more than 200 pictures. He did several movies in a comic duo with a man named Al Cook. We know nothing of Al Cook, and next to that, for Kit Guard. <laughs> Sam Lufkin, working, working here as the policeman who arrests the Stooges. 
He spent most of his career at Hal Roach Studios. He worked in over 30 pictures with Laurel and Hardy. Lou Davis is the laughing pedestrian. 1916 was Lou's first, fil first film, yeah? Bruce Bennett as the truck driver slash prison guard at the Rock Pile, a.k.a. Herman Bricks in the fascinating tale of being cast as the first Tarzan, but losing the part due to injury on another film. We heard about him previously. He quit acting, went on to uh, take lessons and stuff, and then changed his name, came back as Bruce, Bruce Bennett. Linton Brent as the prison guard with a painted face. We have kind of squeezed the Linton lemon for whatever juice there was to find. His father created Brentwood. He wrote salacious novels. <laughs> Neil Burns is the convict painting in the prison yard. He did more than 200 films also between 1915 and 1946. In 1918, he was a drill sergeant in the army at Camp Lewis. Stanley Brown is the officer in charge of B.O. Davis slash Lone Wolf Louie. And rounding it out, we've got Charlie Phillips as the officer who is handcuffed to B.O. Davis, Lone Wolf Louie. So I tried to look up how many shorts Vernon Dent and Bud Jameson were in together, just out of curiosity, you know, how many they worked in the same short. And I couldn't find anything out. It seems like I'd have to count them manually, and I'm nope to that. <laughs> So we open on the boys cleaning the park. They are sweeping. They're sweeping papers and trash in their white uniforms. They've got white pith helmets on. Curly sweeps up some garbage and, and then goes over and lifts up the sod and uh, dumps the trash underneath the sod and pats it back down. It's a pretty good little bit. Larry is over spearing papers with his you know little spear. Uh, one blows away and he's stabbing at it in the air all crazy. He stabs Mo in the butt. Um, Mo turns around and he says, uh, Larry says, how did you, how did you get under the paper? <laughs> Curly has a nice pile of trash at the back of its truck. <clears throat> and Bruce Bennett walks up and starts the truck. It blows the blackest exhaust that you've ever seen and papers fly all over. Curly dives on the pile to keep it, you know, from blowing away. It's pretty good. The smoke is just crazy though. It looks almost solid coming out of the exhaust pipe. <laughs> So Curly balls up some paper and he stuffs it up the tailpipe. Excuse me, is that a banana in your tailpipe? He really crams it up there with the uh, broom handle too. <laughs> then the guy up front, uh, he cranks it up again. He's like, why won't this start, you know? And the plug shoots out of the tailpipe, knocks Curly down. He tells Mo, a bumblebee bit me. <laughs> then he takes the broom and he shoulders it like it's a rifle in the army. And uh, he says, we have met the enemy and they belong to us. He knocks Mo. They do a little business with the broom. Curly starts sweeping again, and he does uh, he does that little back kick shuffle move. I love that. He picks up some paper, and there's fly paper, and it sticks to him. Mo is watching, you know, Curly struggle with the fly paper. <laughs> Always watching. <laughs> Monsters Inc. A um, lot of uh, impressions, I guess, today, so. So the, the flypaper gets stuck on Moe's face, and it comes off with a big clump of hair. And Curly says, oh, look, a bird's nest. <laughs> Curly then finds some bonds on the ground that are listed for as uh, B.O. Davis. And uh, they fight over returning them or keeping them. Curly gets knocked to the ground, and sprinklers come on all around him. He sits there for a second, and he pulls out the soap. And he's bathing with all his clothes on. 
they do some business and Curly hits Mo in the face with the towel and then he, you know, Mo's chasing him around. At the end of the scene, Curly runs and slides on the wet ground like a slip and slide. It's great. So they return the bonds to B.O. Davis, and uh, which is John Tyrell. He tells them that he'll give them 5000 He's looking for an honest man, and he'll give them $5,000 if he can find an honest man who is executive material. Mo says, can we have some money on account? Curly says, yeah, on account of we're broke. <laughs> That's pretty good. In, uh, in the best little money gag I think I've ever seen, um, the guy pulls out a wad of cash and he's counting, you know, he's going to give him, oh, he's going to give the boys a few bucks. He's got this big wad and he counts out one, two, three. The boys are watching as he's counting and he takes three bills in one hand and then Mo just grabs the big wad out of the other hand and they chant, we're on our way for an honest man. We'll bring him back as fast as we can. Excelsior. They circle the desk and out they go. Curly swipes a bowl of fruit on the way out. And uh, hands the guy the empty banana peel saying, have this refilled. That's a great little bit. So now we cut to the boys in swanky fur coats. They are trolling for an honest man with a wallet on a wire, like fishing. A blind guy comes around the corner uh, with his cane in his hand. And of course, he sees the wallet, takes off his, bl his black glasses and looks down to make sure nobody's looking. And he takes the, uh, he takes the, he takes the cash. And leaves the wallet. They're like, ah, he's a faker. He says, ah, he ain't a faker, he's a crook. Larry pulls out some gunpowder and he says, uh, well, get, we'll teach the next person to steal. Um, Curly's trying to smoke. Mo smacks him and they do a little up on their toe, like Curly bows up at him. And then Mo bows up and they do this like up and down on their toes thing at the same kind of rhythmic timing. Neat little thing. Um, Curly pulls out a full cigar then, and Mo, Mo smacks him again. This time they bob their heads at each other like birds. Now Curly takes out a huge cigar, like a foot long. Mo breaks it and smacks it on his head. Curly does that hand wave, you know, and where he, Mo can't stop watching. Um, and that's all right, you know. Back to the wallet. So then we've got uh, the guy, Johnny Cassier, Mo's stunt double. He comes and picks up the bait. He puts the wallet in his pocket. Mo hits the fuse and uh, the boy, uh, it, it blows up. The boys have his pants in their hand. They're all blown up. And then they show a guy running across the street. Um, you know, his butt's on fire, smoking rather. So this dog comes and picks up Larry's discarded wallet now and uh, gives it back. So he is the only honest man they've met. The dog beckons at them with his tail to follow him, and they run down the street, and they just knock a guy with groceries right over. It's just a nothing end of the scene, but it's great. They just, every time they run off, they crash into somebody. So they run up on this crying lady, uh, Dorothy Appleby. They doff their hats, and Larry's brim stays around his head, which is pretty good. But the top part of the hat comes off. Just a real quick little gag. She says, uh, my, my husband, my sweetheart is, is in jail and he's honest. She says, well, how do you get, you know, what's, uh, you know, they, they, anyway, they come to the fact that maybe all the honest men are in jail. <laughs> so the, the boys decide they're going to get arrested so that they can go into jail to help Percy Pomeroy escape to prove his innocence. She starts crying her thanks, and then they close up on the boys, and they're all crying. And they're crying harder and harder and harder, all of them. And then even the dog is sitting there howling, crying. We cut to a cop, 
Burt Young here, I believe. He's on the street. He's tying his shoe on the um, on the bench. And the boys walk up and decide, "Ooh, this is our chance to go to jail," you know. So Mo kicks the cop in the butt, knocks him over, and a passerby, Lou Davis, he starts laughing hysterically. And the cop turns around, turns around and says, uh, "Oh, what are you know, laughing? Huh? Wise guy!" and arrests him. He thinks he kicked him, so he leaves the boys. Frustrated, now Curly pulls out a gun. A gun? It's got to be a lighter. Grabs a guy, points the gun at him, pushes him up against a wall. And the other two run to get a cop. They grab Lewis Mason. The guy now has a gun on Curly as they come back. And uh, the cop grabs him and arrests the guy. So the boys can't get arrested. Turns out that the guy that Curly tried to mug is uh, Jip DePeople played by Kit Gard, who bears a uh, passing resemblance to uh, James Cagney. I'll bet he played that up during his career. So he had a real gun, and the cop just took it off him and gives it to Curly, and then it takes the guy away. So now Curly has the gun. Um, it shoots Moe's hat off, it goes off, and then it ricochets all around. Larry looks across the street and he goes, Look, a police station! They go there to get pinched. Did the police station just show up? If it's off camera, I guess anything is possible in the pictures. The boys run in and confess to their crime. Vernon Dent's laughing and he says, Oh, did you kill Cock Robin or start the San Francisco earthquake too? And that Cock Robin line is from uh, Disorder in the Court. That's who was murdered in that case. It's funny. So they confess to a fake crime of robbing a bank and shooting two guards when a call comes in for just that crime. The cops all run out. Uh, one, and then in a minute, a cop walks in, he stands, the, as the cops had run out, they slam the door and a chandelier becomes loose. Why there's a chandelier in the police station, I don't know. But this cop walks in and he stands under it. The boys jump up to push him out of the way and, uh, they get arrested for assaulting an officer, <laughs> even though they saved him. So we cut to the boys now in prison, breaking rocks. Mo is, uh, number plus four. Curly is H2O. And Larry is six and seven eighths. <laughs> the guard walks away, and the boys real quick start bowling with one of the iron balls from Curly's leg irons. Then the guard walks back a minute later, and the boys scatter to get working again. <laughs> Seems like it's more work to bowl than it uh, than it's worth. But, you know, I guess it's jail. So Larry is told to go un unload this wagon, and uh, Curly has trouble with a hornet. Mo hits at it with a sledgehammer, knocking her Curly on the ground. Curly thanks him, and then they look at the hammer. It's all smashed up. It's an oldie but a goodie. So and even, uh, then we cut to the, the horse, or they show the horse-drawn wagon. Even the horse is striped, black and white stripes like a zebra. It's a nice little touch. After some business with the chains and the balls and hitting each other, the guard, Bruce Bennett, again in a dual role from the guy starting the truck to now the jailer, he takes him over to do some painting in the cell block. Um, has he never seen the Three Stooges, I guess? So Curly gets the, uh, the guard's keys in this slick little move where the guard is on the phone with the warden and he says yes, and Curly takes that to meaning yes, he, you know, he's allowed to unlock them all. <laughs> so they go inside, they're trying to look for Percy. Curly starts painting a black stripe down the wall. Comes upon a guard making his lunch from his pail. He uh, sneakily steals the meat off the sandwich and paints the bread and then sneaks off. And the guy takes a bite. He's like, Ugh. he runs out to be sick. 
Um, Curly then starts painting a fire extinguisher, and as he turns it upside down, it's spraying water out, and Mo gets soaked. He and Mo have some business with the fire extinguisher, and they turn their back on a on a cell. And Percy's in the cell; he's getting soaked. They explain that they are here to break him out. Um, there's a nice little bit where everyone huddles to hear the plan, and Curly like stands up to look out for you know to watch the coat. The coast is clear. Um, then they break and stand up, and Curly goes in for the huddle. They do that a couple of times. Curly just misses the plan every time. <laughs> So they take this black paint and they start painting each other. Cut to them in black guard uniforms, which have been painted on them, which is pretty good. When they turn their backs, you can still see, they only painted the fronts. They, they, you can still see the stripes on, their, uh, on the back, which is pretty funny. So they paint a cop's face and Curly slaps him a whole bunch of times with the brush. They walk out to see B.O. Davis. Cop says, no, he's Lone Wolf Louie, the biggest bond swindler in the country. He laughs in the Stooges' faces. Says, ah, I got you guys, you know. Mo punches him in the stomach. They dump the paint bucket on his head. And then they say, we'll meet you at the rock pile, Mo says. But then we cut to the rock pile and Curly's sitting on it. Larry is putting rocks on top of his head one at a time and Mo is smashing him. He do that a couple of times and Larry picks up a third one. Big rock. And Curly points at it and says, no way, that's a real one. I'm no fool. The end. Ha! That's a weird little ending. As the boys are still in jail voluntarily. And the bad guy, although he's in jail, he doesn't really get his comeuppance. Um, Percy isn't broken out or helped in any way. And so, <laughs> it kind of goes nowhere. The title of this one is a play on the 1939 film Goodbye Mr. Chips, which was a British musical. I mentioned Bud Jameson before, and he was mentioned in this online, but uh, he's actually in a deleted scene, so he ends up on the cutting room floor. Laurel and Hardy painted their prison uniforms in a 1927 movie called The Second Hundred Years. In the final scene where Curly plays to the camera, people have thought that for a long time that that was an ad lib, but it is not. It is just an odd tidbit that the writers or the boys threw in there. Um, it was in the shooting script uh, for, you know, so it was listed. All the jail scenes in this picture are reused later in Beer, beer Barrel Polecats. This short gets a 9.03 on 3stooges.net. It's a little uneven. Like I mentioned, the, you know, the, none of the plots actually go anywhere and it just kind of meanders along. It's a little uneven, like I said. There are some fun bits and I'm going to give it an 8.5. I would give it somewhere between 8 and an 8.5, but we'll stick with the .5s. But as this is the first short of 1941, it is the best one of the year so far. <laughs> So that's going to do it for this episode. Please join me next time when we look at the 54th short, Dutiful But Dumb. 54. We're getting close to 190. <laughs> um, listen, I know there's no timetable for this podcast. I don't stick to a schedule. I'm pretty flaky. Um, I like doing it. And I will, mark my words, get through all of the shorts, all of the solo work, and all of the features done by all of the boys. I am uh, taking my master's class online, which I've been doing for a while. I've been stopping, start 
It's, but I'm going, but going strong on that. And I've also started taking real estate classes online. So I'm super busy, blah, blah, blah. So trying to plan for the future or something. Anyway, if you're listening to the podcast, please stick with me. Just click subscribe. It's going to come out intermittently, but there will be several a year at least. Um, and we'll get through, you know, it, we'll, we'll get through them. So click subscribe so you don't miss out, please. <laughs> you can make a podcast of your own on Anchor. Please rate and review the show and drop me a line if you have any comments or suggestions or book offers or bags of money that you just can't keep lying around. Whatever. Thank you for listening, and I have been your chief knucklehead, Gabriel Russo, and I am broadcasting from Stooge Studio at the back of the house. See you next time.